Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And the podcast is taking a bit of a break. So, a little background. The Shambhala Meditation Center of New York, where these talks have been happening, is moving. It's leaving its current space for a variety of reasons, among them the exorbitant cost of real estate, uh, rental space in Manhattan. So, for a while, there will be no physical space for the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Um, And we're figuring out what's going to happen. There's the transition in leadership, as well as the transition in space. Things are a bit up in the air. And uh, 2019 seems to be a bit of an uncertain year for uh, when things will start to slide back into place. Obviously, since there will be no weekly Dharma gathering during this period, where the Shambhala Center is without a space, there will be no podcast. There will be no new talks. But that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy the podcast. There have been 216 episodes as of this episode of great teachers giving great teachings, leading great discussions generated by great questions asked by listeners just like you. So if you're missing us, check out our talks from the past. Check out our catalog. Check out some of your favorites that you've heard or uh, others that you may have missed. And then stay tuned for the return of the Meditation in the City podcast. So today's talk is by Acharya Eric Spiegel. It was the final weekly Dharma gathering at the current, now former, space of the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. And it is, fittingly, about transitions. So tonight is, so we're, after 23 years, this space is dissolving. Uh, due to many different reasons, um, and um, felt appropriate that the topic would be transitions, and um, transitions are always a challenge for everybody, pretty much, and also other kinds of beings like dogs and cats and probably birds and butterflies and owls and whatever. Beings like to know what their habitat is and what their relationships are and don't like too much change and don't know where we are when all the things start shifting around us. And in the whole, in the Buddhist tradition, the whole topic of Transition or change is also related with teachings on death and dying, that, you know, your body change. Obviously, everyone's body is always changing. Few of us here are still five. And um, and eventually that will uh, come to its full measure, and if you want to say it that way. And and also, we've had, we, most of us have probably had friends or family members who have passed away at different times and we've seen that process which is sometimes very slow and 
Sometimes it's very slow and painful, sometimes it's very graceful, sometimes it's untimely, sometimes it's timely, sometimes it's very fast and sudden. And uh, like, <clears throat> and sharp. And uh, so this center, for example, was like running on full steam six months ago and then we tripped. And so sometimes like we do that, you know, like in your own being, you know, you could be really feeling really healthy on Tuesday morning and all of a sudden your knee goes out of line at 11 a.m. And by Tuesday evening you feel like an old human being and can't quite walk and need a seat on the bus or whatever and... and um, And so this process of um, trying to just acknowledge what is and be present with change is really part of this whole teaching on wakefulness, of being aware of the present moment. Um, it seems to be where a lot of the richness of really experiencing our life is. It's actually one of the Richness is such a funny word because um, it means there's a lot of texture and a lot of depth and a lot to be discovered. And because we really prefer familiarity, it's the areas that we avoid the most are the ones that are really, really rich in that way that's like full of texture. <laughs> like... Um, what's happening to my relationship, what's happening to my meditation center, what's happening to my job. Um, so the first teaching that the Buddha gave after he became, after he went through the process of becoming awakened, which is what his name means, the awakened one. Uh, the first teaching he gave is that all beings experience uh, dis-ease, sense of not being seated, not being in their skin, not being comfortable. All beings, like every being, every kind of being you could imagine has that experience. And that... Um, and he said, and the reason that they have that experience is that they're trying to hold on to things that can't be held on to. So we don't really have any, have to go any further than our youth, right? You know, we could just say, oh, all beings are trying to hold on to, like, their vitality and their sense of being someone in the world. And then, and then we have a million different extrapolations and versions on that, our relationship, our home, this photograph, this cup my grandmother gave me, or you know, <laughs> this artwork, this painting that I made when I was in high school or that someone gave me, or this or that, and uh, or my children who are growing up and leaving, or my... Uh, recognition in the world, which, you know, you 
are when you're young and you have great ideas and you're recognized for them and then later on someone else is being recognized for the newer great ideas and and uh, so this is the fundamental teaching this is like the whole nutshell of the buddha dharma of the buddhist teachings is that uh, we're always trying to hold on to things and it's always causing dis-ease it's always causing disease. It's always, as long as we're trying to hold on to things that can't be held on to, we're going to be unhappy, uncomfortable, in discord. Why can't they be held on to? Hello. Why can't they be held on to? Why can't you hold on to the perfect lover? or the perfect job, or the perfect hairdo. <laughs> Why, when yesterday it looked just right, today it looks like this. <laughs> yes, I'm talking to you, no. <laughs> and the reason is that elements uh, shift. And nothing is actually one thing. Everything is elements. Everything is made up of things. Your hairdo is made up of the molecules of your hair, but also the moisture in the air and kind of very, how you washed it or rinsed it today and whatever. How you happened to comb it at that first moment after you got out of the shower. Your relationship is made up of two people, and those two people are affected by many other people and many other beings and also the weather and also energies in their body and energies in their mind and desires and things that have not been fulfilled that they hope will be fulfilled or things that uh, are suddenly coming, appearing on one's horizon but not the other. So there's a relationship, but it's not really between two rocks and those rocks are changing too you know I mean those rocks are getting gathering lichen or moss or wearing away and maybe they're made of slightly different kinds of uh, of ore or whatever rock matter whatever you hope there's no geologists in the room <laughs> and <laughs> I'm a Buddhist teacher <laughs> <laughs> not a geologist and you know so one's wearing away at one rate and the other's and the one that's you know of a more stable nature says but you promised me you'd always be with me to the sandstone rock and the sandstone rock says I gotta go and so and so so but this is really the nature of being a being. We could say being human, but I think it's like if you've ever had a pet, it's the same thing. Of being sentient. This is the nature of being sentient, is that we want to know where things are and how, and we, because this perspective that thing, we look out and we see things and they, we don't see them change. 
we wake up next to the same person or we wake up next to the same pillow or whatever and we don't see things change day to day, moment to moment, so we think that they're fundamentally stable. We think that our life is like a snapshot, but it's really like a, an old film movie that has like cuts, you know, frames, one bump up, 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 where each frame is actually just minimally, minusculely different than the one before, but that presents a sense of flow. But that every now and then it gets caught in the <clears throat> spools and suddenly you're stuck there and it starts frying and fraying. And, um, I guess that's why they invented video, so we would never have to have that experience again. But, but yet we it, obviously it's all of our experience all the time. So the teachings on meditation are about discovering what it means to actually be present, seeing all of the movement, all of the shifting things, and just which present as a as a solid image to ourselves. And then in that moment where you just happen to notice that, oh, I'm sitting here, but I was actually in Miami, in my mind. Just in that moment, there's just that, like, sense of that you just, someone just yelled, cut. Not in an aggressive way, but just that it, for the moment, for that one moment, the, the mirage broke, the mirage of continuity broke. And you realize, oh, I'm not there, I'm here. And you might only be here for two or three or four breaths. Certainly at the beginning, that's the experience. The beginning of experience of meditation is described like sitting next to a, a rushing waterfall. That's the traditional image, is that the beginner meditator is like sitting next to a rushing waterfall that suddenly you discover you've been going along with this same mind for all these years, and then when you just take a moment, 10 or 12 minutes to sit, you suddenly realize how many thoughts you have. So, <clears throat> so the teachings on the teaching on transition and is to discover the present moment and to learn to be at ease in it. And there's this really funny balance between seeing how we grasp onto things how we try to hold the situation stable, if it's a relationship or a job or the place you love or the meditation center that you've been at home in or whatever it is, that you're trying to hold it, uh, you're trying to maintain it, you don't want to destroy things, but at the same time somehow not grasping, not 
like being willing to like work with its needs as much as you can and then knowing when it's actually gone or going and then being willing to be with that. And that's really the same as like our own body, our own aging process, like how do, when, you know, that we put our best face forward in the world, but we don't, uh, try to be someone we're not. Because people will see that. It's obvious. So there's this always this fine-tuned balance of present moment. If people, any yogis in this room know this, you know, the sense of balance isn't like just holding. It's moving. Balance is moving. And nowness is moving. Awakeness is moving. Awakeness is alive. Awakeness isn't like fixed. It's this moment, and then this moment, and then this moment, and then this moment, and this moment. And then we drift, and then we come back to this moment. So today, for instance, we, that's the throne that was my teacher's throne when he would be in New York, and um, today we took all the brocades and decor off of it, and and after this talk we're going to turn it on its side so that tomorrow it can easily be dismantled, or we can at least see if it can be dismantled or just torn apart. And so there's like this sense of, um, okay, you know, honestly, that was like a really significant thing. And like, obviously, most people don't think thrones about thrones very much. I don't think about thrones very much either. But that particular throne has had a place of representation, just like this shrine does for me, for people, certain people. And, um, and these things just, they are there in this moment and then they also have the nature of emptiness. Very, very clearly present and then also really just elements that came together for this period of time. So I'd like to just open it up to any kind of questions and discussion and just sort of leave the end the talk were just this like take that you could look at your world in any moment and just see all of the elements that make it up and also just notice how like like we think things are in solid fixed and in place but it's really fragile and in that fragility, it's really elegant that it came together in this way, that a meal came together, that a table came together, that a friendship came together, that any that things uh, uh, coalesce at all is kind of just really joyful. 
and then also recognizing just how fragile they are and appreciating them that much more because of that. So, open to you all. So who are the people who are here at Chambala for the first time tonight? There's about half a dozen or more of you. That's so nice. Welcome. And um, what we're hoping to do is um, land fairly quickly in a place where we can at least have Dharma gathering. We're talking to a place where probably beginning of March we would be able to start having Dharma, or the Tuesday, or it might not end up being Tuesday. We have, it'll depend on the space. But one, at least a one night a week thing. We're, we're thinking that we won't reestablish a center immediately. We're going to take a little time to really do some um, introspection and dis- deciding how we want to manifest. Rather, like this has been a really wonderful place, but it became a very big production. Like uh, we had to. We've been running millions of programs here, and it's taken a lot of energy. So we're going to take a little bit of time to figure out how we want to um, set ourselves up for the next phase. But I'm hoping that we'll be able to re, uh, reinstitute Dharma gathering pretty quickly, probably within maybe two months, two, well, December, January, so really in, three, in about three months. And our, we'll keep, we'll communicate to people on our website, we'll keep people up to date. I, I was reading about you, um, oh, I read the blurb on the website briefly. Uh, you were speaking of transitions, and I'm, I'm just curious, um, could you speak to your experience with uh, maintaining a secular career, which seems like a very structured existence while pursuing a spiritual path? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I had super short bio. I uh, I met Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, the founder of Shambhala, when I was 19, and um, dropped everything to follow him, and uh, kind of grew up in through my 20s in his world. And then when I was about 28, I moved back to New York, where I had grown up on the Lower East Side. And um, I stumbled into a Wall Street career. I got a temp job, and they sent me to a prestigious Wall Street bank, and they hired me as a secretary, and I became the assistant controller of one of their major profit centers, and then I went on to be the CFO of another Wall Street firm. So that was sort of like an accident. Um, And at some point, I asked one of my teachers, and it was really, those first several years were really, really nightmarish. It was, I was in the, one of the uh, most avaricious sectors of places on Wall Street and working really, really hard and never being thanked. But never being fired. So, <laughs> which is kind of almost like being thanked, so. And so, um, and I asked one of my teachers uh, if I should even be there. 
So backstory, Shambhala, traditionally the Buddhist teachings really happened in monastic settings or in yogic settings. They happened in deep Asia. Our tradition comes from Tibet, which was 1,300 years of really closed monastic society. 1,300 years. And now here we are in America, in the West, in whatever, in the modern world. And it's not monastic, and we're not going back there. And Tibet, in that way, doesn't exist anymore. And never, it won't exist again. So what's the purpose of these teachings? So the meaning, of, the whole meaning of Shambhala is like placing these teachings that were traditionally held in retreat and monastic circumstances, placing them in the world. How does one be awake? Meaning present, compassionate, engaged in your world. And so my teacher said, there's so much power, and there's so much money, and so much of it is used for negative purposes. And any, in, any knowledge, any worldly knowledge you gain, meaning me, but also you, will be put to better use. And he said it so clearly and directly. And from that moment on, I had a, there was like a shift. We say, we talk about view, like when you're looking at your world, what are you seeing? Like, are you just seeing dirty dishes or are you seeing potential meals? And um, so what had just been kind of like me being in like this kind of nightmarish situation, all of a sudden became, oh, I understand. I'm here because I'm learning things. I'm getting knowledge, worldly knowledge, which is really scarce in the spiritual world, but needed. In the, like in arts and education and spirituality, nothing happens without money, Right. So, but that money doesn't have to be tainted. It doesn't have to be avaricious. It can, it's just money. There's a, it's energetic. So I just started looking at the world from that point of view. And my place in the world quickly made itself really clear that I took care of people and I took care of businesses and I took care of the people in those businesses, both the owners of the businesses and the employees of the businesses and I made sure that people had workplaces that reflected human values and and even if the business was making money out of money <laughs> that it was taking care of the people who were involved and and showing people respect and how do we work together and how do we have a sense of appreciation for the work we're doing? Even if it's not, you know, the most meaningful thing in the world, it's taking, it's making, it's enriching people's lives so that they can make decisions about what they want to do with them rather than not having them enriched so that they can't make decisions. They have very few decision choices. 
So that's my story, Ed. Yeah, you have to speak into the microphone. Just wondering, too, uh, I find, like, just maintaining my own meditative practice, like this morning, I just, I was running late, and I didn't do it, and, you know, I got pretty wound up today. And I'm just wondering, you know, with your, how, how, how did you, how do you um, maintain that discipline? You have to work at it. I mean, you kind of have to be, there's, it's just like, as I was saying, when I was talking about uh, that sense of balance between uh, recognizing like sort of between the solidity and the emptiness of things, like and not trying to hold on to them, but also not trying to just like dismantle them either. So with your, you have to try to maintain a practice and also you have to be somewhat gentle with yourself. So sometimes you have to lean in more and sometimes you have to let up on the pedal a bit. And when things would get intense at work, which they would, I had big jobs, and they would get intense, and I would get exhausted, or my mind would get worn out and be under pressure. I would often just walk to a window and go and stand and look out the window and let my mind and heart open and relax. So it doesn't have to be so much of a formal meditation session, but you could take a minute and let your mind rest and open. and then turn around and face all the shit again. Um, <clears throat> I guess to take it one step further, not necessarily into shit, but um, um, I'm finding in uh, my meditation these days, having uh, had the long experience of being here for what, two months or less, but it's just uh, drinking it in like crazy. Oh, too much or what? Too drinking, drinking in the my learning oh, from yeah. here. My morning meditations are, um, and I would love anyone in your um, response um, that the morning meditations are at least twice as long as the evening, and the morning meditations feel like they're five minutes long when they're, when they're 30 minutes. And then the evenings, uh, a 15-minute meditation can feel like three hours. Yes. And um, being that uh, uh, the, the center is dissolving and uh, that a lot of the uh, some meat and potatoes uh, will be off the plate for a while, um, do you have a kind of an overview meditation menu for those of us who uh, haven't been here that long? What do you mean a meditation menu? Oh, like uh, I'm going to continue my morning meditation in my evening, but yeah, I've also... Yeah, no, that sounds... And some reading and go for walks. You know, go, I walked today, I don't live in the city 
full-time. I'm here a lot now because I'm overseeing this transition here, but today I'm staying, I was staying on the Upper West Side and I had to be somewhere in Midtown and I walked through Central Park for 35 minutes and I hadn't done that in 15 years and just seeing the beautiful kind of magnificent plane trees and elm trees and just sort of uh, seeing buildings aren't as don't your mind doesn't relax as much confronted with trucks and cars as it does with nature so if you can just be outside by the river or by in the park I think And what you said about morning and evening is really normal. I mean, that's like, I find evening practice rarely easy. And, uh, it seems like in the morning there's just, you know, just there's no obstruction yeah. yet. Uh, uh, and by the end of the day, yeah. Yeah. you're dealing with train wrecks. Yes. Um, I started coming here in the late spring, and I came, I came a few times right after the sort of news, and then um, I'm a I'm a uh, I'm a traveling musician, so I'm not here sometimes. So uh, this is the first time coming back in a while, and it's the last day. And I um, haven't done any of the retreats or anything. I struggled with uh, having investigated a bunch of different places in New York to you know, follow this path for myself. Um, I'm most attracted to this space, yeah. but also most deterred by it because of the, what's... All the chaos, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, so that's mm. kind of kept me from picking. Um, mm. But I, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to go back because it, of all the places I've been, it was my favorite, and now yeah. it's all... It's, so I, I understand it's going to open again in a few months. But. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. We're hoping to at least have a place where, a, like, pop-up center where we have, can have a weekly Dharma gathering and maybe one other evening a week after a bit. And then we're really, we'll decide what we're doing, whether we'll have a full-time space or we'll have a space in Brooklyn or up or in another neighborhood. Well, you know, we have, the community has a lot of different aspirations and a lot of energy has gone into paying the rent on this space mm. for years. Mm. It's a lot of what we've been able to do has been determined by the rent. Sure, same. So. But the, that, that's not my question, actually. Yeah. My question is, um, I, being most attracted to this space and the talks that I yeah. heard here and the teachers that I met here, but being most um, uh, sort of repelled by sort of the, I, I don't, I haven't really kept up with the news, but the idea of the focal teacher being somebody who may or may not be somebody I want to actually devote myself to as a student. Um, my question is how, you know, b with the exception of just, or not the exception, maybe with the inclusion of just continuing to come to the Tuesday nights, uh, I, I personally do have the urge to be more of a student uh, and have a teacher, um, yeah. but I'm having a hard time um, figuring out where to land that right now. Yeah, I, 
I don't have a real answer. I mean, so the story, just so that we're all talking about this, is that this gentleman has, there have been allegations of sexual abuse against him. And actually the, the allegations are from incidents that are quite old, that are like 15 years old, but they're real allegations and I'm not downplaying them in any way. At the same time in Shambhala, 90% of the people in Shambhala don't really have a guru. They have their meditation instructor and the teachers they study with, all of whom are here. And he's only here in the best of times every couple of years for a weekend. So when you become a really advanced student, you, by that time there will be other choices and you'll know but the teachings here and the teachers here are really, really trustworthy. And I don't doubt that. And so, but it's you do a, have to, There is a vow eventually that's taken. Is that true? There's all no? kinds of vows, but there's a vow to become his student, and that's optional. It's also way in the future. Okay, but is it optional? <laughs> if you want to become his student, it's not optional right. to take it with him. <laughs> But there, by the time you get there, there may be other options, which right now we're in the beginning of this period where we don't, where things have shifted and it's not six months yet. So we don't have any idea what it will be in a year, two years, three years. Thanks. It's so different now than it was in July. You know, things are so much more... In July and August, in particularly July, things are really chaotic around here. Come here to meditate and just meet our emotions. <laughs> yeah, so no, things are much more settled. Everyone's, everyone is, it's, the energy is quieter, but it's settled. I just wanted to ask for, I'm going through like a period of stress and change in my career <laughs> at the moment, and I started meditating about a year ago, and in doing that, I'm really like much more present for things that I find scary. And I'm wondering, sometimes I meditate, I'm really overcome with emotion or fear, whatever things that, that I've always run from. So I was just wondering if you could give any advice about when that happens, like how to embrace it and, and how to kind of calm myself. Are you, could you say it a little bit, one more time slightly differently? Like, are you, ha is it because of your, do you feel like it's your meditation practice that's like opening you up to the, all sorts of more intensity or more emotion? Yeah, partially, I think. I think I, well, I was always sort of compartmentalizing and yeah. then and then I made a choice, or, I mean, I guess several choices, but in my life about a year ago where I was like, okay, I don't want to run from, from this anymore and I'm an artist, so it was like not really ideal to be not experiencing um, what was going what what was happening in my life um, so yeah now I'm sort of embracing it all more and things have been very positive in my life because of that but it's also much edgier and much scarier so and particularly right now there's I have opportunities that are happening but I'm really terrified so I kind of sit with it and feel quite overwhelmed so this without 
I want to formally say I'm not taking responsibility for your future decisions. <laughs> but it feels really good. And but you need to just like keep like when you start to get excited about things, stay steady. Stay steady, keep your mind open. Don't just say, oh, it looks really great, I'm going to go for that. Just hold it there, let it be there for a bit longer. And don't feel pressured to make a leap that's going to be like really a major. Go, just take, be sh just be sure Then this is relating with the mind of meditation of just being sure that like you're present and aware and not just being drawn by beautiful colors or bright lights. It's not that those aren't trustworthy, but there's a sense that sometimes we can be open and relaxed and uh, just too naive, honest, you know. So there's some, within meditation, there's also a lot of teachings about, in, about critical intelligence and not just being, not just saying, oh, that looks great. I'm just, just going to go with the breeze here. Thank you. And also, even though this physical space is dissolving, we as a community aren't dissolving, and we offer Shambhala guides and teachers who, can, who you could meet with and kind of get a little more individual reference point in terms of your practice and how to relate to things in your life. And so you could speak to, the, to Dan at the desk during the day sometime and just say, um, like in the next week or two while we're here, it would be easiest. And he could set you up with a meditation teacher. Hi. I just moved here uh, to New York. I'm actually going through a big transition in my life. Um, but I also have been practicing the art of letting things go a lot to the point where... Could you hold the mic up? Oh. Let it Sorry. go less. Yeah. Um... So I, I, I tend to let things go a lot when I feel stressed and overwhelmed. I like to take a deep breath and, you know, meditate a little bit and, and just let it go. I practice a lot of detachment lately. Um, but I think it's gotten to the point where I just feel empty. And I don't know if there's something that maybe you could talk to me about in, in the sense of I'm always letting things go because I'm really into that idea of detachment and not holding on to physical things or or past situations or, you know, just a lot of things I've let go of in the last two months, I think, that I'm just left with, like... Where did you move from? From Los Angeles. I think it's just uh, things are really new here. I'm not, like, a psychic or anything, so, you know... But things are really new here for you, and you don't have a lot of, I'm assuming, a lot of connections and a lot of ground and a lot of things you can rely on. And so, so it's, you know, what you're describing sounds really uh, normal, you know, like you're in a place where things are very um, 
tentative. You're tentative. You don't know where you can put your feet and be sure there's support. So I think that's fine. It's a temporary, it's, and things will become more clear and you'll become, you're, you'll start to have relationship, know what your relationships are and sort of what the things are. And, and also, um, I don't know particularly like anything about your situation, but you know, um, if you're here and you're like trying to get established and figure out what you're doing or whatever. So uh, I guess when you were talking about like the transition period, I, I have let go of a lot of physical things. Like I moved yeah. across country and gave away everything pretty much and felt really good. It felt really like, okay, I'm just letting go of all these physical things that I don't need um, to come here and also had death in the family, and so like a lot of just things that I've felt like I've needed to detach from emotions and yeah. you know um, physical things and past lives or past you know, yeah. situations. So <laughs> that's where where I'm kind of getting to the point where I've it feels good to let things go for that moment and just want, kind of find myself and be present and focus on that. But it's gotten to the point where I'm just like, now I don't really have anything. Well, right. So, uh, yeah. So, what I was just about to say is the other part is like um, enriching as well. So, one part is sort of like releasing, and the other is like, what are we building and what are we, you know? So, really just start to have, um, really be thinking about what you want and what how you, what you want your life to look like and see what opportunities appear. And a lot of times, like, doors... A lot of times we don't have any sense of where we are, what we care about, what, our, what my own priorities are, what your priorities are. Like, and I mean, everyone has, like, certain base priorities. Everyone wants love and money, right? So, but what do you actually care... What are the values you care about? So what are your inner priorities more than just like the, the this and the that, you know, the, uh, the house and the swimming pool and whatever. Not that that's a joke, but, you know. Um, <sighs> and so uh, we make a lot of decisions in our life. We're presented with choices moment by moment, and we hardly ever have any basis on knowing what our priorities are. So this time where things are really open, and it's really, any time is good for this, but this time where things are really open is really spend some time contemplating what do you, who are you, and what do you want your, what do you value in your life, and what, like, is it, uh, you know, what are the things you want? You know, for me, like, um, political and social justice are really, really key things. You know, those are like central issues. But other people have different issues and different things that they care about. And and so um, and we, we make so many millions of decisions in a vacuum because we've never thought about it. 
so then if you start to have a sense of like actually spend some time over the next several weeks and months and the rest of your life really thinking what what do I value what do I want where am I going in my life where do I want to be going in my life then when opportunity when choices come up in front of you and someone says hey want to go for a ride with me and you can say oh no no thank you I'm not going in that direction you know as opposed to oh yeah okay sure I don't have anything else going on so and then you know get dropped off at the curb 15 years later and have to figure it out again and so <laughs> so we'll think what was that <laughs> so, so I think really like just knowing starting to really do a little introspection about yourself and where you what you want to be what you want your life to be focused on I just wanted to say that uh, we created something that I don't know if you know uh, the wandering sangha because we will not have a space for a while so uh, a bunch of us started uh, a group and we're meeting at uh, different houses on, on Sundays and so we get together we meditate mm. we eat we gossip and talk and the idea now, we're having a Zoom meditation tomorrow morning. A and a, Zoom, a meditation on Zoom. Uh-huh. And we're doing it uh, tomorrow morning. It's um, like a video chat kind of thing, video conference. So we're doing it tomorrow at 7, and we're going to start doing it every Wednesdays and every, and, and every Fridays at 7. We are opening a group on the inside application also for, for the Wandering Sangha. And we're planning a couple of retreats. So we are, you know, And just where us. can people find out? Uh, still don't know. It's just so far I've been giving out my email because I'm adding people on. I have, we have a Google group too. So a I don't know. A, a, a Google, Google group. group. Okay. So maybe I should just leave my email address at the door. And just if people want to, they yes. just, and I'll add it. And we're just starting, so we really don't know what we're doing. But it's like, let's see, and let's see what sticks. And, That's uh, great. Because uh, we're going to be a little groundless for I've a heard, few months. I've heard about the Wandering mm-hmm. Sangha, but this is the most I've heard about it. So that's <laughs> okay. really great to hear a little okay. bit more. So I'll, I'll just leave my, my email address at the door. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. I just, uh, sorry, I'll go I'll be here. Yes. But, uh, no, it's okay. I had a quick uh, question. Uh, I've been listening to uh, a lot of Alan Watts talk about the Mahayana. Is uh, Shambhala considered in the, in the Mahayana tradition? Yes, but Alan Watts was a Zen teacher, and so it's a really different style of teaching. Mahayana means path of compassion, basically. So uh, there, the the two basic the, there's three basic traditions in Buddhism, or three basic sort of uh, you could say, groups of teachings. And the first is basically training your mind, taming your mind and developing stability. And the second is is working with uh, heart and compassion. And then the third is called Vajrayana teachings, which are the tantric teachings that came out of India and Tibet. And they also manifested in Korea and Japan in different formats and and the Vajrayana is really just like another style of Mahayana. So there's really only 
Hinayana and Mahayana and then Vajrayana is like a, uh, um, um, sort of like an ex accentuation of Mahayana, you could say. Specifically what, uh, he, he was talking about Nagarjuna's and uh, the doctrine of the void. And, about? Uh, Nagarjuna's and the, and the doctrine of the Nagar void. Nagarjuna. Pretty, yes, pretty consistent and, with what yeah, I... Well, Doctrine of the Void is what I was talking... Emptiness. So I was talking about things not existing, things dissolving. That's the same as the Doctrine of the Void. Yes, it seems it's all Buddhism. That's because it's all Buddhism. So... <laughs> so... All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, I'd like to... Um, just also really take a moment and thank all the people who, there's a group of people here, uh, Claudia, Andrea, and Kate, who, and uh, Craig, and I can't, Paul, who have been kind of running this place, this Dharma gathering for a while, but uh, for 20 years people have been running Dharma gathering on a ro volunteer basis, rotating, and so they're sort of representing multiple generations of, of bodhisattvas who came before them. And so um, nothing ever happens by itself. And so like for anything to occur, people have to have made some effort and put some muscle and aspiration into it. So uh, you should, uh, when you want things to occur, wandering sangha or your life to be fulfilled, uh, put some muscle and aspiration into it and bring people along with you as well. Okay. And thank you really a lot. And I'd like to just again close with a bow. And so <clears throat> I gave a simple instruction. So the secret is that the bow is also just a very short meditation practice that a lot of times our mind is like all over the place. And just doing something that's very simple can kind of shift the energy. So just in this moment, just coming into our physical being and sitting up and just being present. And then taking a moment and feeling our human, most human quality of vulnerability and openness which could be fear, or it could be tenderness, or it could be joy. And then just uh, letting ourselves share that with each other, or with the world, or just at home with the space around you. Thanks, Acharya Eric Spiegel. And thanks to all of the teachers who have appeared on the podcast. This truly could not happen without you, nor could it happen without the people who asked questions, attended the weekly Dharma gathering, nor could it happen without the people who listened to the podcast and made it a part of their lives. We appreciate you. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast. And, uh, Stay tuned for the return of the Meditation in the City podcast. Later. <laughs>